Good morning. How are you doing? My name's Andy. I'm part of the team here. Um, if you're a guest or a visitor, we are, uh, we're thrilled that you're here. We hope you feel very much at ease and at home. If you do have little people with you, um, feel free to let them climb under chairs and pull people's trousers and do whatever they want to do. Um, I'm kind of only joking a little bit. Uh, seriously, if you have kids, we hope you feel at ease. I will not be distracted by noise. I have three terrorists, I mean children, that live in my house. Um, so last week we started a new series we're calling Brave uh, New You. And um, I wonder um, how much attention you pay to what's going on in the wider world. How many of you are like religious news people? Like you have to read or watch the news every day. Right, there's going to be a fair bit of participation this morning. Okay, so, so let's everybody put your hand up. Brilliant. Everybody put your hand down. Everybody put your hand up. Everybody put your hand down. I could just keep going for a minute or two. So, so, so wave at me if you're like a religious news person. Like you need to watch the news every day. Every day. Okay, cool. Not much of you. Wave at me if you like avoid the news. Like you hate the news. Dana, you should have your hand up. No, I don't avoid it. You do avoid it. You do. I often, we're at dinner parties and people bring up things, current events type stuff. And Dana's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm like, babe, it's like like everybody in the world except you is talking about this right now. Um, If you pay attention to the world, if you pay attention to the news, um, you will know that all is not well. That that things are pretty difficult. Uh, there's a fair bit of unpredictability and difficulty. And what I notice is some of us have a greater capacity to see that kind of stuff than others. Um, my, my daughter's six, and we refer to her in her house as the seer. Like, from she was tiny, she just had this ability to see things that often other people missed. Like, she, she would sit in coffee shops at times and, like, when she's tiny, and point people out and ask questions like, Daddy, why is that one sad? And I'd be like, there's hot chocolate in front of you. What are you, what, what are you doing? And y- yesterday we were in the morns, and um, with all three of them, we have two twins as well. The boys will be five in a couple of months. That's lots of fun. And um, I was actually where we were in the morns yesterday, a few, maybe a month ago, and there was a ton of frog spawn. And so I thought, I wonder if the tadpoles, I wonder if the spawn become tadpoles. And so we're, we're looking at this puddle, and it's literally full of tadpoles and the kids are like whoa this is amazing and I was really excited about a dad moment of like you know frog spawn becomes tadpoles becomes frogs and before I could speak all three of them were having this conversation isn't it amazing that this used to be frog spawn and in a while there'll be frogs and I thought wow I don't know who's teaching you about frogs but it's working whoever's having that conversation and then we walked on and there was this other big puddle and the boys being boys like fully like jump both feet into the puddle and like stomp their way through and Noor was like standing behind them watching it with her head in her hands and she literally six-year-old daughter she literally went this boys you've just wiped out an entire generation of frogs and I'm having this like actually my first question was where did you hear the word generation from um, and she had this total freak out that the boys had like wiped out this entire puddle full of, full of little tadpoles. And do you know, my instinct actually was to be like, do you know what, don't worry about it, there's tons more. 
And then she comes back with, but dad, you say we're supposed to take care of creation and the environment. And they've just killed all these frogs. And I had to say, hey, look, a mountain. You know, let's, let's get off this quickly. But she has this capacity to see and this depth of emotion that, if I'm honest, as a parent can be slightly challenging at times. And I am in some ways concerned about her becoming an adult when, I don't know about you, but I am a religious news person every morning. It's one of the first things I do. I read the news. And the first piece of news I read this morning is they reckon at least... 70 have died over the weekend in a chemical weapons attack in Syria. That's the beginning of my day. And you know, the reality is that the world is full of beauty and tragedy. It's, it's, it's full of both. And I'm not sure you could hold an argument for very long with anyone that all is well that everything is good, that everything's happening as it should, and it's just a wonderful thing to be in it. The reality is, maybe not on your street, but probably not too many streets away, the world's a bit of a mess. It's a bit of a mess. And you know, we can uh, often go around this, this world consuming all the beauty and pointing out all the tragedy that exists in those places and people around us and miss what's really going on within ourselves. And last Sunday, we started this new series, Brave New You, looking at Easter and the story of Easter, and we reflected on two questions with regard to ourselves. What is broken and where does it hurt? What is broken and where does it hurt? Because we can spend our time pointing those things out all around us, but the, the reality is it exists within us. And I don't know about you, but one of the things that I notice in my own life is often my own uh, brokenness or my own pain hurts those around me that I love the most, the most, the most. Any of you ever noticed that? That it's not actually the crazy person in the car park. I mean, they they might get some angry words inside your car, of course. Um, But the reality is it's the closest to us. Those that we say we love the most, that often we end up hurting the most. So what do we do with that? How do we respond to that? I'm confident most of us would be saying we don't, we don't love that about ourselves, we don't even like that about ourselves, or we wish that were different. So what do we do? What do we do? I want us to look at a passage of Scripture this morning in the book of Philippians chapter 2. Um, it's page 815 in your black Bibles. If you see one sitting beside you, grab a black Bible, go to page 815. Philippians 2, I'm going to read from verse 1 to 11 this morning and then pick out a couple of verses we're going to focus on. But uh, this is Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. 
in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, we are gathered to hear from you. As we look at your word, Holy Spirit, would you come and speak to us, challenge us, and change us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So what do we do? What do we do with the stuff in us that seems to affect those around us, that damages those that we love? What do we do? How do we process that? Verse 5 Paul says, in your relationships, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In your relationships, have the same mindset as that of Jesus. I want to do an exercise an old mentor of mine used to do in groups like this uh, often. It requires some participation. Is that okay? (laughs) Sorry, I know I snuck up on you there. It requires a wee bit of a participation. Is that okay? There we go. Um, It's not actually going to need you to speak to me, but I just thought we would warm up there. So I want you to think for a second, who's the wisest person you know? Right now, not somebody that you know of, okay? Don't think uh, Pope or Stephen Nolan. Um, Those two things have never been said in the same sentence before, ever. Um, Somebody that you know, right? The wisest person you know. Have you got them? No? Have Have you got them? I think I'm giving up talking to you. In the have you? No, there's nobody around there. Oh well. Um, how many of you would say that the wisest person you know is also the most educated person you know? Just wave at me if you would say the wisest person you know is also the most educated. One, only one, two, three. Great. So um, you can be educated and wise, but it's not very common, right? That's kind of a joke. You're like, that's why we're married. Every time I tell her I'm telling a joke, then she laughs. <laughs> so education, education and wisdom are not the same, right? Right? They're not the same. How many of you would say that the wisest person you know is also the wealthiest person you know? Wave at me. Wow. That's even more concerning, isn't it? You know, that, um, that you can be wise, but it doesn't really mean anything to your bank balance. Let me ask you a different question. How many of you would say that the wisest person you know is also someone that you would go to for advice and input about how to better your relationships, friendships, marriage, family? How many of you would say that that's what you would do? Brilliant. Most of us, I hope. If you're not going to the wisest person you know about that advice, I, I, I don't know where you're going. But anyway, um, 
See, here's the thing. Most of us don't actually know what wisdom is, but we know what it does. We're maybe not sure what wisdom is, but we know what it does. And one of the things wisdom does is it brings relational health and wholeness to the world, to our lives, to the city that we live in. And I know that lots of you are still trying to figure out exactly who Jesus is or was, that this faith thing is new and you're still not sure about all of this church stuff. But I am convinced that Jesus Christ is the wisest person that ever lived. Convinced of it. He uh, arguably was not the most educated. He definitely was not the most wealthy. But I am convinced he is the wisest person that ever lived. And Paul here in Philippians is talking about how to have relational health and wholeness. And he says, if that's what you're seeking in your relationships, have the same mindset as that of Jesus. How many of you would say that you want your relationships, maybe friendships, family, marriages, how many of you would say you want them to be as vibrant and healthy as they possibly can be? Wave at me. <laughs> cool. How many of you would say that you have the same mindset as Jesus? You're like, that's a trick question, Andy. <laughs> that's a trick question. <laughs> right, so we have a problem. So Paul's saying in your relationships, you need to have the same mindset as that of Jesus. And we're going, we want healthy, flourishing, vibrant relationships, but none of us have the mindset of Jesus. So what do we do? How do we square that circle? Like most things with God, the answer is very simple and very hard. Very simple and very difficult. How do we change How do we change? See, the the scriptures, you have to understand this. The scriptures are always an invitation into more than we ever dream possible for our lives. And and I think if we're really honest, maybe you wouldn't admit this to somebody like me, but if we're really honest, we read a text like this and go, that can't be for me. Like, Like living with the same mindset of Jesus. Well, you'd need to be some holy Joe saint to do that and my life's a bit jacked up and yet this is Paul's charge to people like you and me that in our relationships we are to have the same mindset as that of Jesus we cannot must not let ourselves off the hook here by saying well that's just like come on it's me we're talking about It's possible. It's absolutely possible. But how? How do we we get there? We talked last week about Easter not being the beginning of a religion. That's not what Easter was. At Easter, on that first Easter Sunday, God in the resurrection of Jesus redefines or better rediscovers for all of us what it means to truly be human. Becoming a Christian is not about becoming a new kind of person. It's about becoming truly human. That's the gospel. 
We are the same, but we are different. And we believe that on that first Easter, God rebooted what one theologian calls the human project. That the human project gets back on line. The restoration or the renewal of all things. God is making everything new and that beautiful new thing is crashing into our broken and pain-filled present. And the question for us to wrestle with is how do we partner with that future? Allowing and enabling it to grow in us and out of us all around us. How do we change and yet stay the same? I wonder, what would you say is the most spiritual activity in your life? Think about that for a second. What is the most spiritual activity in your life? I wonder what you would say. I wonder, would you say prayer? Prayer. Prayer has got to be one of the most spiritual activities in my life. Maybe some of you just say reading the Bible. When I read the Bible, that's one of the most spiritual activities in my life. I wonder how many of you would say it's church attendance. Showing up in a room like this on a day like today, that's, that's got to be one of the most spiritual things in my life. Maybe some of you would say it's spending time with God, whatever that looks like for you. Early in the morning, late at night, middle of the day, wherever you are, you'd say spending time with God, that's the most spiritual thing in my life. Maybe some of you would say spending time with other people who love Jesus, that's, a, that's one of the most spiritual things in my life. All of those are spiritual things, but I don't think any of them are the right answer. The most spiritual activity in our lives is our choice. The most spiritual activity in your life are your choices. Because everything else flows from there. Everything else comes from that place. You see, there is a beautiful future crashing into our present. The question for us will always be, will we have the faith to perceive it and the courage to pursue it? And as we are learning how to see As we're growing in our hunger and pursuit of the kingdom, we discover that our lives are transformed as we continually choose to order our lives around that which God is doing all around us. We're the same, but we are different. Do we choose the same, or do we choose the different? Do we choose the same, or do we choose the different? You all waved at me when I asked you how many of you long for your relationships to be flourishing and vibrant. I think most of us, at least I hope most of us, when we think and dream and imagine the future of our lives and our families, the places that we work, the city that we live in, I hope you dream and imagine of one that's better than today. I hope that you do. But what are we doing about that? Are we involved in the process? Are our choices ordered around that longing and imagining and dreaming? You see, the future is the shape of your character. That's the truth. Your future is the shape of your character. Let me say that a different way. Your future looks like who you're becoming. Your future looks like who you're becoming. 
Dana and I bump into this all the time and tragic circumstances and we walk through some of it again this week. People in situations going, I have no idea how I got here. And the part of me that lacks compassion wants to ask a question that I never dare ask in those moments. But the question screaming to me as I listen is always, really? Because I do. I can connect this to 10 choices you made over there. I can, I can connect this to that thing you did and that thing you chose and that priority you had. And if you'd asked, they and I, this, was just, this was pretty predictable. I don't think we want to often, at least I don't anyway, embrace the responsibility with which God gives us. Our future looks like who we are becoming. Yes, dance party. <laughs> we don't mind interruptions from kids. We don't mind interruptions from phone calls. Um, our future looks like who we're becoming. So who are you becoming? Who are you becoming? This is the morning for weird noises, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> one of the things, one of the things that I notice as I uh, as I listen to people, if I'm honest, it concerns me a bit, is that I see and hear superstition dressed up as theology. I see and I hear superstition dressed up as theology. If God really wants me to change, then He'll change me. Really? If God wants that to happen, then he'll make it happen. This is awesome. <laughs> Wait, Penny. Sorry, Penny. I'm fine. That's, that's the first, you know. Baby's crying. We can all ignore but sirens. Everyone's like, this is getting weird. <laughs> One of the things people used to say to us uh, when we gathered early, in the early days of, of Lagenval Vineyard, particularly when the room was much smaller than this. And um, people would say, well, you know, everyone was here who God wanted to be here. Really? M- maybe. Maybe we just did a terrible job inviting people. Or, like, this is, this is my favorite one, when I hear people say, well, it was just meant to be. And you ever notice how people only ever apply, well, it was just meant to be positively? You ever notice that? Like, you, you never hear of somebody phoning their spouse to tell them they've just crashed the car into something with, I just want you to know, this was just meant to be. I whacked the car. Right? Like, like, and, and we, we dress this stuff up as if it's spiritual, but really, it's just superstition. And we hide in this place that like God's doing stuff and things are happening and we get to kind of be passengers. When really I I feel like his invitation to us all the time is get involved. Come and be a part of this with me. It's kind of like the opposite of parenting. 
One of the things I notice anytime I'm doing any jobs around the house, and it's confession time, is I get uh, usually two little people, can I help? Can I help? Can I help? And I never have the heart to be like, it's so unhelpful. Like, it's like the opposite of help, you know? And do you know what? I, I feel like, like with God, we have that inverted. We have the most beautiful parent constantly saying to us, hey, do you want help? Yeah, I know you'll make a bit of a mess at times. But do you want help? Do you want to get involved? And when it comes to our own change and our own transformation, you are central to the process. And your choices, your choices are absolutely central to the process. We are involved. God God designed the ultimate power-sharing government And our choices are at the heart of it. Our choices are at the heart of it. So what does it look like for us to have the same mindset of Jesus? We have to choose to cultivate that. We have to choose to order our lives around the way that he thinks. The things that he values. What is this mindset? Good question. Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross is a fairly meaty portion of scripture that we could camp in probably for the rest of the year. But let me paraphrase this for you this way. What is the mindset of Christ Jesus? It's a mindset of humility. The key to wisdom is humility. The key to wisdom is humility. Arrogance is the opposite of humility. And arrogance always wants its own way. And anytime we bump into violence, what you're seeing is the fruit of arrogance that didn't get its own way. That's what's going on when we see that. When we see that in the world, we see that in our community. Maybe you see that in your relationships from time to time. Usually when we see violence, what you're seeing is arrogance that hasn't been allowed to do what it wants. And it reacts Sure, you're familiar with the expression to be full of yourself. Or in conversation, somebody, it's a wonderful Northern Irish term, isn't it? Don fella's so full of himself, isn't he? It's like the ultimate cultural sin here. Like to be full of yourself. It's like, you know, your parents can't think of anything worse. It's mad, isn't it? Like, I can think of a whole lot worse. I'm not saying that it's, some of you are like, Really? I'm not saying it's good to be full of yourself, to be arrogant. And the problem with people who are full of themselves is they have no room for God in their life. When we're full of ourselves, we have no room for God. And Jesus personifies the opposite. He empties himself. 
for all those around him and for the world. He empties himself. The most crucial ingredient to personal transformation is the cultivation of a life of humility. A mindset of humility. Humility opens the door to change. It opens the door to transformation in our lives. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud. It's pretty harsh language. There are very few places in the scripture where you get something as black and white as that, as God's opposition. God opposes this kind of thing. God opposes the proud. Fascinating to me. God does not oppose the broken. God doesn't oppose the addicted. God doesn't oppose the abuser. But God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud. You see, the value system of the kingdom and the value system of the world are not the same. You see, in a world without God, unrestrained self-adulation will often bring short-term benefit and gain. Accomplishments fueled by pride, though, are short-sighted. If all you care about is yourself, often that's all you'll ever end up with. See, pride can achieve monetary wealth, but it guarantees relational bankruptcy. Pride destroys our relationships. And pride kind of flips God's values. And it says things that we shouldn't really care about become really, really important. And things that we really should care about, we really don't care about. Pride, forgive me if this is a bit morbid for you, but this is what pride does. Pride gets you to your deathbed in a room surrounded by trophies. Possibly with a bank account full of money, but nobody to mourn you. But humility brings life to all those around us. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We've talked about this before. Often in Christian circles, we think of grace as like a backwards word, as in grace deals with everything in our past. Grace covers our sin, and it does that, and grace covers our shame, and it does that, but grace also is a destiny word. Grace fuels our future. It's grace that opens the door to our destiny. And if you're struggling to discern how to partner with God in your life, choose the path of humility. Choose the path of humility. How do we get there? What does that actually look like? What does it require of us? How do we begin to order our lives around this? I want to finish with uh, three brief things. James, why don't you guys come on back up?
How do we cultivate a mindset that is like Jesus? How do we prioritize humility? Three things. If you want to choose to cultivate humility in your life. First thing is this. Never pretend. The humble person never pretends. The humble person is able to say to the world, this is me. I wonder how many of you find it hard in social circles or with friends when somebody asks, you know those questions where they assume you know? Like, hey, you know, fill in the blank. You ever have those moments when somebody says that but you don't? And we all lie, right? At least I do. We go, yeah, 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 of course, yeah, I know that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who is that guy? Or yeah, 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 I know, I know that thing. What is that thing? What's he talking about? It's amazing the pressure in our world to pretend. To pretend that we're something other than that which we are. And you know, as... Uh, you get this the right way around as much as we abhor in Northern Ireland the full of himself person we are equally addicted to false humility you ever know those people that when you give them a compliment they say oh it wasn't me it was God I'll never ever forget one of the early days Alan Scott was down from the causeway and um, I can't remember who was leading worship but somebody was leading worship and he went up to them afterwards and he was like that was really good and they said, oh, it wasn't me, it was God. And he went, it was not that good. <laughs> what happened there? Was it you? Ah! <laughs> you sound like Jesus to me when you sing, James. Isn't it amazing, though, how we are so Addicted here to downplaying ourselves, to never be able to see or accept anything good about us. That's not humility. That's not what it is. Humility never pretends. Humility is able to say, This is me, the light and the shade, the good and the bad. The humble person's able to take a compliment. And our minds are blown. Really? Yes. The humble person never pretends. Some of you in this room are phenomenal cooks. Like unbelievable cooks. And when someone's around for dinner and they say, That's amazing, you go, oh, I just threw that together. You've been slaving all day. It's not humility, it's pretense. The humble never pretend. Second thing, the humble never presume. The humble don't presume status or place. The humble don't presume a seat of honor. The humble don't presume access to important things or people. The humble don't presume. The humble show up and say whatever you need wherever you want. Humble people never presume. And the third thing, 
Humble people never push. Humble people never say it must be this way. It must be my way. Humble people are able to offer their opinion, yes, freely, but if people want to go a different way, humble people aren't addicted to their own agenda. The truly humble, they never pretend. They never presume. And they never push. Can you imagine a community like that? Can you imagine a city like that? Can you imagine what that would do to our relationships? Can you imagine what that would do to your marriage? Can you imagine what that would do to that conflict you can't seem to sort out and work? If you showed up tomorrow and went, I'm going to stop pretending. I'm going to stop presuming. And I'm going to stop pushing. See, there is a brave new you available. But you have to choose it. You have to order your life around it. And you have to have the humility to accept that you need to change. If you're able, why don't you stand? Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're here. Increase our awareness of your presence. Come. Come. We welcome you. We welcome you. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I wonder this morning how many of us need more of God's grace in our lives.